Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. everybody, welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I have a good friend with me today, Shep Hyken. Many of you know who he is. He's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He is an expert at customer service and customer experience. He speaks all over the world. We're really, really lucky to get him with us today. He's also the author of many books, including the recent um, bestselling book, I'll be back. How to get customers to come back again and again. Shep, thank you so much for being here. Feel free to critique my Arnold impersonation. Well, and is there anything I was going like to say, if you're going to pull that off, you have to put the glasses on. Okay. These really? are the Terminator glasses. Uh, and by the way, there's even a Terminator font on the book. I'll be back. How to get your customers to come back again and again. Which really, when I started writing it, had nothing to do with the movie Terminator. It was about three sentences into my outline when I realized Arnold made these made these words famous. I've got to figure out a little bit of a tie, and at least I can't leave it out. So there's a tiny little bit of, uh, you know, it's like, well, this is what you want your customers to say. And you don't want them to terminate you. <laughs> so... That's where Indeed. that comes from. And that's happening and that's happening more and more. We see yeah, it, you know, and, and it's, as we talk about it all the time. It's really interesting. So next year when we do our research, uh, it'll be very interesting to see because uh, service has been so important. And for the first time ever, I believe that the uh, supply chain issues, the fact that there's scarcity means a customer that was loyal to a company will go somewhere else just because they don't have the product, which means the loyalty is up for grabs. More than ever, we have to deliver that experience. And what I would do for, if I was a, a company that sold something to a customer and I had to tell them there's a delay, there's a problem. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. I know you were gonna ask the question. You know, part of what I do is I read minds and I guess what you're going to say. Uh, but because uh, customer service is anticipatory and sometimes predictive and proactive. All right, but here's what's happening is that uh, customers are not finding what they want, so they're forced to go somewhere else. I believe that the company that has to make them go somewhere else should not make them go uh, without their help. So, for example, I'm sorry, we're out of that. It looks like we're three months behind on that washer and dryer. If you would let me do a little research, I'll get back to you and find out which one of her competitors has it, and then you can buy from them. And I hate to see you do that, but I can't let you sit there without that washer and dry. You know, it's just, and anybody that then says, my God, they are more impressed. They're, they're more concerned about me than they are the actual sale. I've got to go back to them. And that's the way you're going to keep your customers coming back, even in this uh, supply chain issue that we have. Yeah. Well, that goes right to a key idea that you talk about all the time in the title of the research report that you've just put out that I really want to get to, which is customer amazement. Yes. How amazed is that customer? <laughs> Not just that dirty word of satisfied, but absolutely amazed by that type of response when you don't have what they want. Yeah, the satisfied um, customer so, so, is not a loyal customer. They're just satisfied for the moment. So, uh, and, and in the right. book, by the way, it, it, let's tie it all together. In the book, 
in every book I do, I talk about the foundational concept of managing every interaction you have. Jan Carlson came up with this idea years ago. You manage the moment of truth. Anytime a customer, guest, client, member, whatever you want to call the people that do business with you, patient, uh, resident, if you're in you know, uh, some type of apartment or condo space, whatever, uh, anytime a customer comes into contact with any aspect of what you do, they form an impression. And that is the moment of truth, and it goes one of three ways. It's bad, which means there's a problem, a complaint, and sometimes they'll tell you about it, which is great when they do. There's uh, average satisfactory. That's where that satisfied customer comes from because typically satisfied customers, yeah, I'm satisfied. What does satisfied mean? It means it's fine, and fine is not fine. Fine is a four-letter word that starts with F, and in the customer service world, that is the F-bomb of customer service and experience. But then there's the moment of magic, which is the positive experience that you have. And it can be a little bit great. It, it could be really great. It could be just a tiny li- little bit better than average. The point is it's just better than your typical average. And by the way, this is what amazing companies do. So when you talk about customer amazement, and we again, we cover this in the I'll Be Back book as well as a number of my other books, anything that to me, if you've never read it, my books, and you pick up one, I want you to know at least what the, what the foundation is. Amazement is just the predictable experience that's better than average. So it's not over the top. It's just they're always helpful. They always get back to me quickly. They're always friendly. The word always followed by something positive, and you are in that zone of amazement, provided it really is always. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with my son, who's in high school, just yesterday, and he was saying something, was complaining about a customer ex- experience he'd had, and he basically said, as he, as he put it, that company sucks. <laughs> and I, I don't want to say who the company is, but uh, it is the cell phone provider that he uses, mm. right? And so it's one of the country's largest, you know, mobile carriers. And, you know, it, it was a real moment of insight for me because... I said to him, his name is Foster. I said, Foster, you know, you're on your phone all day long, aren't you? And he said, yeah. I said, so you're using the services of this company constantly. And he's, yeah. And I said, and, and how often do you have a problem with like the service, you know, like the coverage, you know, the, the bandwidth? He's like, not really. It's fine. You know, um, I mean, I, I get what I need, you know. So, but, and, and I said, how often have you ever called them? And he goes, I mean, I, this is the first time I ever had to call them. So I said, okay, so you've, you've had this company as your cell phone carrier for a few years, since he got a cell phone, right? He's a junior in high school, so he probably got his cell phone in seventh or eighth grade. They've always pretty much delivered very consistently reliable service for you. You called them once, you were unhappy with it, and you've concluded that they suck. And he's like, well, yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, that's the power of a customer service interaction. After years yep, it's of judgment really day. flawlessly giving this kid broadband, he thinks they suck because one person one was an idiot call. on the phone when he called. <laughs> Is that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. judgment. I mean, kinda... thing. You know, you could be. So what you're doing is every interaction you have is an opportunity to renew the relationship or confirm they're making the right decision to do business with you as life goes on. You could be flawless, perfect for 20 years. And then there's a true moment of misery that the customer has. And at that moment, whoever that customer calls, that you know, customer service agent, the rep, whatever you want to call it, maybe it's just your salesperson. At that moment, it's like judgment day. You have the opportunity to confirm that I've been making the right decision all these years. Otherwise, come next time I have an opportunity to switch, I may just do it. That's the danger we have. Yep. By the way, 
quiet customers, customers that never complain, it doesn't mean they're not happy or unhappy. It just means they've chosen not to tell you either way. And I always believe that silent customer, or worse, the satisfied customer, that's a dangerous customer. At least if there's a true problem, I might have the opportunity to fix it if you tell me about it. But if it's just okay, given the opportunity to do some business with somebody or some company that's just a little bit better than okay, you you might just switch as a result. Yeah. And I love that idea of Judgment Day. And by the way, that's another Terminator movie. So I love how you're continuing your theme. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to pick <laughs> up on that. I was going to put my glasses on when I said Judgment Day. So, uh-huh. yeah. Now, when you said I have to wear my glasses when I do your the Arnold interpretation, I want you to know I'm re- I'm ready. So I'm ready to do my next. Talk. I don't think those are the glasses that the Arnold. That, that's like that. does this those look like Arnold's Arnold? Glasses are- okay. <laughs> well, maybe in the last movie where doesn't he become like a blind salesman and he's you know he's probably got his. <laughs> All right. So, so yes, absolutely. I think that this is, uh, you know, a, this is a, a key idea and a key insight. And I know, you know, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about research because I think one thing that's really amazing about what you're doing is after years and years and years of consulting with so many of the leading brands in the world on their customer experience and multiple New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling books, you're still every single year doing new, fresh research with consumers. And so let me ask the first question. Haven't you already learned everything already? (laughs) Why are you continuing to do these research studies? So not only do I research, I read at least 10 articles a day. I read, I don't, you can see this. These are books that are on my, these are on my to read list and I'll get to them pretty quickly. Um, read about 40 to 50 books a year. Wait, Shep, I think people want to know what's, what is on Shep Hyken's to read list. Oh, wow. Uh, this is a great book, Built to Win by Annette Franz. Uh, and she, Annette Franz, I'm doing the Arnold accent, Franz. Okay. <laughs> Hans and Franz, remember that one with Arnold? Uh, this is a great one. The Hawk Method uh, by Eric Huberman. Uh, it's a marketing book. Really interesting. Um, the Culture Playbook, this is an advanced copy by Daniel Coyle. This will be coming out. I'll be interviewing him sometime soon. Just like I interviewed you for your amazing book, what, about a year and a half, two years ago? The digital. Yeah, it's been a uh, while now. Yeah. It, is, how long has it been out? customers, yeah. yeah. Two I, years now? Uh, it, uh, January of 2021. So I, I guess it's a year and uh, three, four months. A year and a few months. Yeah, I remember that book. It was a book of the year for me, one of them anyway. Yep. So anyway, I'm constantly reading, constantly researching. Here's what I I found out a number of years ago is I do a lot of keynote speeches at events all over the world. I quote a lot of stats and facts. And I realize if I'm supposed to be the expert, why am I not quoting my own stats and facts? And not only that, if I, so what I did is I, I took the stat that I was quoting, I reverse engineered what I thought the question might be because I wanted to see if I asked a group of consumers, over a thousand consumers, which makes it statistically valid. Uh, by the way, I looked at all uh, gender, uh, age. So based on the US population, it's called a gen pop study. So it's the typical consumer, over a thousand. We interview them, am I gonna get the same information? And you know what, I got pretty close to the same information, which leads me to believe those stats were real. But now guess what, they're my stats. and. I'm quoting from my research, and now others are quoting from my research as well. Uh, the other thing I like is that I could take a look 
and at what's happened the year before and the year before that and see if there's any trends. It's a lot easier to spot trends when you're doing your own research. And we see a few that are very interesting. And if I see there's a, like, you know, I asked a really important question. Do you think uh, customer service is better or worse since the pandemic? And uh, I don't have the stat right in front of me, but a lot of people say it's worse. And I believe it's not that it's worse. It's the experience has become worse. The people are, are typically the same kinds of people you've been dealing with. But when you have something now, this is a great word, skimpflation. Are you familiar with this word? It's a new word. I'd never heard of it until no, a few I'm months not. ago. So uh, apparently on a PBS uh, podcast, somebody used the word skimpflation. And, and, and the idea is it's not that companies want to do this, but they've been forced to skimp on the experience, either because of supply chain issues, which we mentioned a moment ago, or maybe there's employment issues where I can't keep employees. Um, I'm in the kind of business where there's a great resignation and it's hit my business rather hard. Um, so as a result, as much as I want to give you good service, I'm forced to cut my hours down. I don't have as many people. I can't keep the entire, I, I wrote about this. One company or one restaurant decided that they would shut down almost half the restaurant because they didn't have the servers. and Customers would say, all those tables are empty. And the, the manager would say, I'm so sorry, but we do not have enough servers. And I don't want to give you a less than stellar experience. And that's what would happen if I filled those tables. It would take you an hour to get your food. You wouldn't be happy. Anyway, I know I'm going down this rabbit hole, but it's important to know that, that these are the types of things we look at, we study, as a result, come up with new questions to ask on, on next year's research. Yeah, yeah, great. So um, we're talking about the study that Shep has released very recently called the Achieving Customer Amazement Study. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is available from uh, Shep's website. Yeah, free. We'll do the, the it's link free. For that. You can How do we do it? Free. It's free. <laughs> Amazing. Lose, yeah, we lose money on every sale, but we make up for it in volume. Is that right? No, <laughs> but seriously, go to the website, hiking.com. It's free. Download it. Uh, and you can actually download the year befores and the year before that, and you can kind of look at different studies if you'd like. And some of the benchmark questions show the difference in this year's report. Yeah, and I love the fact that you've been doing it for a few years and that you can do those multi-year comparisons. And especially now that we've had such an earthquake disruption in the way people view almost all of their interactions because of COVID. By the way, um, I've put my glasses on not to do my Arnold impersonation, but rather to read the statistics in your, uh, in your study because you mentioned earlier uh, about the perception that customers have about bad customer, the customer experiences have gotten worse. Your study says 49% of customers reported having more bad customer experiences, bad customer service experiences in the past year compared to previous years. Right, pandemic. Um, so maybe that's mm -hmm. similar yep. to the... Yep, that's yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So, that's a lot of people. Um, so, that's almost so, half um, of them saying you're not as good. And half, when that happens, yeah. remember, loyalty is up for grabs. So the way to handle the bad experience is different than it was before because sometimes the bad experience is out of your control. I'm sorry we're out of it. I'm sorry we can't get it. I know we ordered it. The vendor or manufacturer said it was going to be here. And so I believe as a company, I need to be, if I'm in this situation, if I'm, let's say, a home builder, I need to let my customer know that the things that were supposed to come in on time are not on time, out of our control. I need to be doing damage control before the customer finds out about it. Proactive service is, is what this is. It's, it's the ability to tell a customer before they know there's a problem. I'll give you an example. Your, your son, Foster, he had to call 
the phone company win? Not because he knew there was a problem and he had it for a while. It's maybe something happened and immediately he knew. It's like the internet, okay? The only way you know the internet is down is if you turn on your TV and it doesn't work or you turn on your computer and it doesn't work, right? But until that, internet could have been working fine or not. We don't know. So the point is, when Foster found out there was a problem, chances are the problem had been happening before. And what there's, I won't mention the name of the company, but their initials are Comcast. Oh, there you go. I just did it. So here's what Comcast uh, does. And I'm not going to tell you they're the best at what they do. And I'm not going to tell you they're perfect at what they do. But they really, really are trying hard to deliver a good experience. So what they do is they say, I want every way to communicate with you. I want to know what your Facebook uh, name is. I want to know what your Twitter handle is, LinkedIn, uh, email, phone. And here's what's going to happen. Whenever there's a power outage or or an internet outage, I'm going to blast every form of communication to you. I'm sorry you're going to get a lot of information, but at least you're going to know. Somehow, someway, you'll know there's a problem and that we're working on it so that you don't have to call us and complain and we'll keep you updated along the way. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Still, there's a problem, but they're doing their best to make it easier on me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies would try to hide the problem from the customer and say, let's yeah. just hope they don't notice. This well, this is, is a, the a digital experience. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. I think you're right. In this transparent world, uh, people do value that. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the most interesting findings that came out of your study. And there are so many. Um, but uh, just looking at, you know, the, the, the importance of customer experience, one of the things that you observed this year, because as you've been observing this, doing this research for a number of years, is that as important as it already was, the importance of customer experience continues to grow as you survey people about it, using as I believe that I believe you're asking like the exa- some of the exact same questions right, year right. after year, right? And you're yep. seeing some different answers. So I hope so that you have talk the- a little bit about the growing importance. Yeah, and I hope what you have is the most recent report because I found an error. We set this whole page up with the wrong question, and it's basically how you know important are each of these uh, following customer service experiences in today's world. And we looked at, uh, just to give you an example, employees are kind and helpful. Seems that would be pretty important. Do you know it's more important today than it was last year? How could that be? I think it would be important every year. The ability to reach the right customer, uh, employees that are knowledgeable about their products and services. I'm sorry, the ability to reach the right customer support person. Um, Fast Mm -hmm. response, uh, whether it be from an email, a message, or a text. In other words, if I email you, I don't want to wait three days. I would like maybe, some people say three hours is too long. Uh, Delivery has become more important. The convenience, as we know with COVID, People started to get their groceries delivered, and now they kind of love everything getting delivered. And Amazon stepped up and went from, you know, it went from two-day delivery to next-day delivery to two-hour delivery. I mean, that's pretty fast. And now there's, um, gosh, I just wrote about this not that long ago. There is a grocery store chain. It might be Kroger that is trying to excel in 15-minute delivery. 15 minutes. Now, how do you do that when I live 20 minutes from the store? So, but maybe it's within a certain anticipatory service, right? Right, right. But little or no hold time. Anyway, every one of these we asked, and what's amazing is in every single case, either it was equal or even more important than last year. And that, that's what blew my mind. So, you know, I think that more than ever, customers are saying the experience is important. And, and, 
that dovetails with your skimflation comment. Customer service is more important, and yet many companies are challenged to yep. even maintain their level of customer service, either due to money or due to labor. Yep. And so you've got to make sure you're communicating with your customer the right way, proactively, ongoing, reminding them how important they are to you as a company and making them feel loved because when they do get to buy next time, if you sent them somewhere else to buy it because you didn't have it, hopefully they're going to come back to you and give you the next shot. And by the way, I hope this you know, whole skimflation thing is a history lesson in the near future. It's driving a lot of companies crazy. Right. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder when we hear about all, everything is more important, at least in customer service. It reminds me of, you know, when we'll do a prioritization exercise with a client around features of something and every feature is, a, a, you know, a top is, is high importance. And so in this case, I wonder if all of these aspects of customer experience are more important, is something less important? What is becoming less important to make room for how much more important customer experience is? Is it price? Is it product? Is it geography? Is it something else? Well, I think as when we get into any economic situation as we're coming into now, I don't think we're quite in a recession, but people are really worried inflation is starting to drive prices up. Um, I think people will become, for at least the short term, a little bit more price sensitive than usual. But there's no doubt. I mean, I believe it's 58 percent of our customers said uh, or the consumers that we uh, interviewed said that price was less relevant. In other words, service is more important. And by the way, I keep using the word consumer. And I want everybody out there, no matter where you are in the world, to recognize two things. Number one, you may be in a retail or B2C business to consumer type of business or B2B. And where you are in the world will depend on these numbers aren't going to be the same. But even though they aren't the same, they probably are similar in, in like, you know, it's still important, may not be as important or may be more important. For a B2B customer, does this apply? 100%, and I'll tell you why. Your customers who you're doing business with, if I'm selling you a piece of machinery that you're then going to use in a manufacturing process, if I don't deliver it uh, in a level of service that you love, the next time you need a new piece of machinery, you're not buying it from me. And the thing is, I walk into a mall to buy a pair of blue jeans. I can go to 10 different stores and probably get the same or similar jeans. If I'm in the B2B world, the choices are much, much smaller. If I make a mistake that's due to service and you end up buying from someone else, that's, in some cases, a whole generation, 15. I, I was working with this robotics company, and 15 to 20 years go by before the machine needs to be replaced. Now, here's what happens in that 20 years. 20 years worth of maintenance contracts. That's where they make the real money. It's not the actual machinery. So it's a what they termed a generational mistake. It's a whole new generation of customer who probably hasn't even worked for the company all that long, that you're now going to have to resell on using you and bid against a new incumbent because you made a mistake 15, 20 years ago. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So Losing B2B, a B2B customer can yeah. be. B2B, yeah. B2C, yeah, absolutely. Even, even the government needs to start focusing on a little bit better service experience, which uh, last year, uh, President Biden signed an order that various services such as the IRS and, 
and uh, Social Security. I think, I can't remember, it was a, a large number, 15 or 20 of the uh, government units that deal directly with what you would call citizens who are consumers. Uh, they're going to try to create a better digital experience so people can get information easier, faster, quicker, and would say that the experience with the government is better. I can't wait for well, that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before you know it, we'll love paying our taxes and getting our driver's licenses. No, we'll just love the people who take them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that about digital because that was where I wanted to go next. A lot of times when people think of customer service, you know, the first thing I, the first image that comes to mind is uh, someone at a call center with a headset or a person helping me in a store. Of course, a lot of customer service today, or at least attempts are being made to provide digital ways for to deliver that customer service. I think both because it's cheaper for companies, in many cases anyway, and also I think uh, a lot of people demand to be able to do that. But I'm curious, where does, where does self-service, you know, some people kind of view self-service as kind of automatically less than, you know, we're not giving you that human touch. We're just sending you to a website or an app to fend for yourself. How do you think uh, self-service fits into that goal of delivering amazing customer service? Sure. Well, if the customer has the experience or feels the way that you just described, the company's failed. They shouldn't send somebody to a website to fend for themselves. They should send somebody to a website uh, to either look at a frequently asked question, uh, what they call a knowledge base is the technical word for that, but that's the you know frequently asked question section, or perhaps there's video tutorials, or perhaps I can log on and, and start chatting with the computer. What's my bank balance? Did you receive my payment? Where's my, where's my package? All of those are so simple and easy. If it's set up the right way, very intuitive for a customer to use, it's going to save them time and effort. Matter of fact, we asked and they said 71%. 71% said, yes, I use self-service tools, such as what I just mentioned. What's interesting, however, is if you ask them what their preference is, the preference is still the phone. And what was really interesting to me this year is that this year they said 65% said I'd rather use the phone than a digital experience first, okay? That actually wow. went up from last year. And you would think people are more used to digital tools that the phone would be less and less important. But no, this year the phone became more important. I think part of that is because during the pandemic, people just wanted to talk to people. And for the last year or two, people have said, you know, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call somebody. But let me give you a great example of this that I think all of us can relate to. And Howard, when is the last time that you picked up the phone to call an airline to make a reservation? Um, just the fact that you one? had to think about it that long, yeah. you're going, okay, yeah. when did I do it? Tells me it's been a while, but you've taken trips since that time, perhaps. And you've always just gone online and, you know, looked at the schedule right. and booked your flight, paid for it with a credit card. Yep. The, the, the only time I call, it, like I was in Poland and my flight got canceled and I, ah, yeah, obviously quickly, if there's a problem, you know, but just to book the reservation last minute kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, no, I would never call. But a typical call. flight, I mean, if you're problem. doing a big international trip, I can see where I might want to get a travel agent and I want to, might want to check with the reservationist just to make sure. But the typical customer, so years ago, Delta Airlines was the first to do this. They said, hey, if you would go online and book your ticket online, we're going to give you a $25 credit. 
Really what it meant is if you called them, they were going to pay $25 more to use the agent. What they wanted to do is train the customer on this experience that they thought would be better. And it really was. And then eventually they came out with the online check-in. Check-in. And they the way they did, they didn't give you a discount, but many of the airlines said, do this. We're going to give you 250 or 500 miles to try this experience. And if you do and you like it, we know you will, you can cut the line by, or actually just avoid the line, not even cut the line, avoid the line at the check-in counter. If you don't have any luggage to check, you go straight to your gate. Wow, what could be better than that? A friend of mine said, I just had the best experience ever on Delta Airlines. I got all the way to the gate and I didn't have to talk to an employee. And <laughs> I thought, are you, you don't like the Delta Airlines employees? He goes, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. He said, what I mean is they created this great experience that, I mean, if there was a problem, I know I could call them, but I didn't have to. And all of a sudden, I'm at the gate, and I realize, wow, it was so easy. It was, it was fast. I didn't have to wait on hold. I didn't have to, I don't know if you remember this, years and years ago, and Howard, you may not be that old. I know I'm not that, okay, maybe I am. Back in the early 80s when I was actually um, starting my business, I actually had to go to a ticket office to get my tickets printed so that when I went to the airport, I didn't have to deal with it at the airport. I mean, it was there were the computer systems back and those, then. Those big machines, right? If, if you wanted to be a travel agent, you had to invest in a ticket printing machine. It Huge. couldn't just come off a normal printer. Yeah, and then it would go ka-chunk, you know, and it would print these like cards, right, that were your airline tickets, yeah. Yeah, and so quite a bit different today that it's all on your phone, and which isn't even, it's not a, a phone anymore. It's a mobile device. I mean, I use the phone less than I do any other app that's on there, you know, constantly checking for flights, keeping my tickets, airline tickets, you know, St. Louis Blues hockey tickets where I'm going tonight in just a little while. Uh, but that's, that's the difference is that uh, people do enjoy the uh, digital experience as long as it's set up the right way. You know, if you then if you turn around and make somebody call you and you put them on hold for an extended period of time, all of a sudden you've created friction and inconvenience and uh, you've ruined the experience. And enough of those times customers won't come back. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and I think there's a it's in a it can be a great solution to some of the challenges you just mentioned before about labor shortages and all that. I think about the restaurant you mentioned where they had to close down half their seating. You know, I was not too long ago in a, in a full sit-down restaurant where you could order, you know, the menu was on your phone, but not just the menu, but you could order from your phone. And so we placed our order, we paid, you know, all from our phone. Um, and then, you know, the waiter came and brought our food. And what I noticed at that restaurant, it was like a kind of a mid-scale hamburger place, not like a McDonald's. It was mm-hmm. like a nice sit-down kind of hamburger place in Greenwich Village. And uh, what I noticed is that, you know, the, the waiters were chit-chatting with the customers. I noticed they were taking photos of the table next to me because it was they were having a, a, some sort of celebration, like a work group celebrating something or other. And, um, you know, I just had this observation, and I just thought about, like, wow, you know, when you think about what most waitstaff has to do, they got sort of three main jobs. they got to take your order, they got to bring in your food, and they got to get you to pay the bill. And if all of a sudden I can do two of those three things on my phone, maybe I can run my restaurant with fewer waitstaff if I, if I have to, and still provide that level of service and or leave my wait staff to do the stuff that's more high touch, that's more valuable to be Bingo. a human being doing it rather yep. than just, you know, here's your check, sir, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, Panera uh, is a great example of that. Uh, they're based here in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live, and I've watched them go from St. Louis Bread Company to expanding to a, basically an international presence. 
what was interesting is watching them switch to the self-service solution over the years. What would happen is it used to be you walked up to the counter, you ordered your food, then you stood over at another counter and waited for your name to be called, and then they'd give you your food. And it started out that way, and then it went for order here. Here's a, a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a pager, if you will. Sit down, and the, you right. would put the pager in the middle of the table where there was some kind of a, a I don't know, communication device and the server would then bring the food to you. So even if you were not staying, you would still sit down and relax. And then it started here, these kiosks where you can go over to the kiosk, place your order, grab your pager, or you could still go to the, the front. But I noticed instead of having four or five people at the front counter, they only have one or two. Nobody's complaining. And so I asked the manager, are you cutting down on your employees? He says, oh, absolutely not. We're giving our employees the chance to interact with our customers better and try to create a better relationship because we want them to, we want this place to be what Starbucks has done, creating this great experience where you'll spend so much more for a cup of coffee to sit down and relax in this amazing environment. They said, we want to create that same experience here. And the way we're going to do it is our people are going to just interact better with our customers and they're going to love us. I love that idea. Yeah. Now, things changed a little bit again because of the last two years, but I anticipate they're going to get better at it as things get back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're doing a great job. I saw a stat recently that said 49% of all their orders are now coming in through some digital channel. So obviously yep. that's a huge you know, component. And I actually had an experience in a Panera, this is probably a year ago or so during the pandemic, but I went into a Panera to get food for my family and um, there was a long line. And I thought, oh, and then I, I, I thought, oh, I can probably order on the app. And just for fun, I looked to see, like, who was at the back of the line? Like, who would I, because I, I considered even getting in line <laughs> while I was ordering, you know, like, just to like, you know, then I thought, well, I can't do that because if I order on my phone, you know, then I'm, I'm committed, you know. But I just looked to see, and I noticed the clothing on the person who was at the back of the line, so I'd remember them. And I ordered on the phone, and, you know, what they do there is if you order, then they bring it out, and they put it on, like, a, a sort, at least this Panera. They had, like, a table, like, a, just a, a place where they put, you know, to go orders. And sure enough, my order came out. I, I probably waited about 10 or 12 minutes after I ordered it. And the person that I had remembered who was wearing a, a green jacket was about maybe the second person to the front of the line. So like they were after the person currently giving their order, they were going to give their order. And then of course they would have to wait for the food to be prepared, you know, so they were definitely behind. So you could just imagine the sense of superiority that that gave me over those poor slobs who waited in line. <laughs> you thought, score, I just beat them. I, I, <laughs> That's exactly I, right. Yeah, I, I love that. Isn't that what that. life is all about, you know? <laughs> so so that, I was, went, that was my moment of amazement. Yeah, I was at a hotel uh, at a major conference center, and the line was unbelievably long. And I said to somebody there, how long is this line going to be? Somebody who worked there. We're really sorry, sir, over an hour. Now, this is a Las Vegas convention hotel. And they said, it's just, you know, we have a convention that's checking out and one that's coming in. I go, this hasn't happened before? I mean, come on. This is not an experience. My first experience in your hotel is that you're wasting my time. I wrote a book years ago titled The Amazement Revolution. I use four seasons as an example. When there are more than three people in line, they bring another person out. They, they do not want their people having to wait. They feel that that's an inconvenience and it's not respecting them. Well, this hotel did such a poor job. So what I did is I direct messaged them on Twitter and I said, I am standing in an extremely long line in the middle of the afternoon and I realize Yes, there's a convention checking in, but you had to know this was going to happen. 
I have a meeting in about a half an hour, and I've been told my line is more than an hour. I wonder if there's anything you can do. Put more people behind the desk or come out and find me. Okay. And the rest of the story is uh, they came out and found me. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. We directed the one guy who complained on Twitter. Yeah. So, again, you, you beat the system, but everyone else had to wait in line. Well, because they don't know. They don't know. So here's what's interesting. Had I known ahead of time, there was a remote or, or um, what's the word, uh, a pre-check where I could check in mm-hmm. ahead mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. I did not use that system. And had I known that was there, and if I'd have just read my confirmation, I would have known. Okay, But they taught me what to do for the next time. So two things are going to happen. Number one. I'm never going to call them again for this question because they taught me, and that's real important. And number two, I'll never stand in that line again because they taught me. And even though I was upset with them at the beginning, I was happy with them with the way they handled the experience so well, in fact, that I look forward to going back and using that app. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course they want you. They don't want you standing in line because every minute in line is a minute you're not gambling in Las Vegas, right? (laughs) That's true, too. That's true, too. Well, you mentioned that, you, you know, you, you, you could have expected it or they could have expected it. One thing I could have expected is that this time would go by like in a blink of an instant because we are already actually over our allocated time oh, wow. for this okay. podcast. So hard to believe. I know we've just begun. So there's always so much you and I can talk about, Chet. But uh, thank you so much for being here. I want to give you a chance to let people know uh, where they can find. I think you mentioned earlier, but just to be sure yeah. they know if they're interested in learning more about you, your speaking, your consulting, your books, where should they go? What should they do? Just go to hyken.com, H-Y-K-E-N.com. And if you want the research, click on the little research button and you'll be able to download it. You'll get my newsletter, which is free. Uh, and I always have fun cartoons every week and a good business message. Uh, it's all always business related, but it, and always tied to customer service and experience. And so I uh, would love to have you join that, that community. And thank you so much for having me. I hope I get to say this. All, no kidding aside, I'll be back. Yeah, I mean, we, we have much Absolutely. more to talk about. <laughs> but you didn't do the Arnold voice. Give me the Arnold I'll, voice. I'll be back. I'm not an Arnold in person. Oh, birthday. nice. No, but that was better than mine. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, uh, thank, well, thank you, Shep. Thank you for being here. This was great. And as always, thanks to all of you for watching and listening to Winning Digital Post- Customers Podcast. Until next time, keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.